welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Hello, ABCAers and friends. Our next guest is Tim Funkhauser. Tim's in his 21st season as the head baseball coach at Edwardsville High School. He's a great friend and a great baseball man. I've always enjoyed our baseball talks. He's a Western Illinois fighting Leatherneck baseball alum and played for legendary coach Dick Ballow. Last season, Edwardsville won the Class 4A state championship in Illinois. The championship game victory was Tim's 700th career victory. He's the quickest head coach to 700 victories in the state of Illinois. He's also coached over 100 players that have gone on to play college baseball. Coach Funkhauser is a member of both the Illinois Baseball Coaches Association and St. Louis Amateur Baseball Hall of Fames. Coach Funkhauser has been a longtime ABCA member and spoke at our St. Louis Barnstormers event on October 12th. I was impressed with his talk on building a successful program. He has great insight on how to build and sustain a successful program. Let's welcome Coach Funkhauser to the podcast. How did you feel like the questions were last time when you and I talked? Were the questions all right? Yeah, I thought they were good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I thought they were real good. And I listened to, to DJ. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, too. I thought it was good. It was it, that. That's what got me home the last hour. <laughs> and uh, I, it was perfect because by the time I finished, my phone was dead. And I was <laughs> like, oh, man, I wish I I wish I had another podcast. Cause I, lo- I painted my basement, I know, last year. Yeah. To um, I I never did the I I was we had a local person that um has a podcast for uh Cardinals. He's got a Cardinal one, and he's got a youth baseball. Okay. So I've been up to their studio a couple times, and uh, so I I kind of got on the podcast a little bit there, yeah. but then. Uh, there's the a lot one. man there's a lot of them there i, I get no <laughs> i get down a rabbit hole sometimes because there's so many yeah. good ones well like david franco um he and i talked um you probably don't know him he's the mental skills guy for the mariners but he played for okay tracy smith at miami of ohio and he he had a website he started with a website called next level ball player that he okay. he has sold but he and I talked about um, Michael Gervais, and and I had kind of seen that podcast, but I had never listened to it. And it's called, um, it's like Finding Mastery. But he referenced okay. um, he inter- Michael Gervais interviewed Pete Carroll, and mm-hmm. I went and listened to it after we got done, and it was amazing. The the wow. yeah, it, it was just you know Pete Carroll's so forward thinking and you know, really big on competing, but how do you get guys to actually enjoy competing? And, you know, they do, they do some funky stuff with, uh, with the Seahawks, but it is all getting guys to kind of enjoy. And that's the coaches too, like getting them to enjoy being there, getting them to enjoy the work part of it. And so, yeah, like the next morning I'm listening to that and it's just, it's crazy how many good ones there are that are, that are out there. I I, I just think it's a great format to, yeah, I never yep. would have. I was like, "Oh, podcast, what's this?" <laughs> and I had the cardinal, the cardinal one. I was when I was on, and I was like, "We're we're acting like the GM, and I'm more of like a a coach administrator type. <laughs> like, well, they gotta be they gotta be wise with their decisions, and 
right now now i'm like okay let's get lindor <laughs> and let's let's sign Baumgartner and worry about the money later <laughs> but you're oh, a Cubs fan, so you want us to I love it. I no, I'm like I'm so in between. Um I just can't I I don't pay enough. I, I think if you're a fan, like you know exactly what's going right. on. I, I don't consider myself a fan of any one team at that level because wow. I can't tell you what's going on with that team. Like I, I Right. I like coaches and managers and I like specific players, but I, I gravitate to, to any major league baseball team. Cause yeah. I just find it also fascinating. Um, all you gotta do is follow my dad on Twitter and figure out he's a, he's a Cubs fan. Yeah. Like he knows, like, and then he gets mad. Like, oh, I yeah. don't, I don't have any sort of physical reaction to whether, you know, any major league team does well or not. Like, I, I think right. that's when you're a fan. Like, I'm way more more a fan of like rock and roll musicians and and that <laughs> stuff because I can tell you what's going on with them. And yeah, I think as you get older too, like with the podcast stuff, you know, when I was younger, it was just straight music. But now I think as you get older, I think you you naturally gravitate towards people speaking and and education and that stuff um, way more than than when you were younger. Um, right. I just think that's part of of growing old, growing up, and and maturing and getting older too. So that's. Can we just talk? Let's start. Can we talk a little bit about your experience with the ABCA? Um, you're you're on the high school district committee, um, and you've been coming for a while. Can we jump right into the to your experience with the ABCA? Sure. Um, I played at Western Illinois uh, as you were uh, just recently a coach, and then I, uh, whenever I became a graduate assistant, uh, Dick Paulo had recommended me go into it. So one of the other grad assistants and I trekked up to uh, Chicago and uh, realized that people actually paid 20 bucks at the time for the hotel. <laughs> and now you pay a lot more, but we paid $20 a day and, and uh, paired up in a room with maybe five, six other young uh, college coaches. And uh, I knew right then that I needed to be involved with FCA and I also knew I wanted to coach and I, I felt like I wanted to coach prior to that, but then I, it was absolutely, uh, what I wanted to do. And I just love the, uh, the breadth of knowledge, the ability to, um, uh, connect with different people and hear different ideas. And, uh, ever since then I've been in, involved, uh, um, going to multiple conventions, and uh, occasionally, sometimes maybe I can't make it because of family reasons, but um, it's just been great. And then more recently being involved directly at part of the divisional committee and um, um, speaking locally um, at different uh, occasions. That's been something that uh, has been uh, fun to be a part of, too, and, and give back. Yep. And, and you spoke at our Barnstormers event in, in October. I was really impressed by your speech you know, talk about building a program and you hit on a, a variety of things and you know you talk about the ABCA you know and you just won your 700th game uh, this past year with the state championship as you've gotten older now you know how have your views changed as as an older coach now as maybe when you first started uh, maybe even as an assistant 
you know, how have some of your views changed on coaching is when you, from where you started to where you're at now from a coaching perspective? Um, I think they've changed in a lot of different ways. I think my passion's kind of always been there. Um, I probably made a lot of the same young mistakes that some people make getting in of just being, and being, uh, so driven that you can't really see what's around you. So I, I've tried to be a little better of, uh, taking in all the information and, um, being able to connect with players, uh, better. And I think that some of that's changed in the, in the 25 years I've been coaching that I think you connect with players different ways. I think there's a lot of aspects of the game that are very similar. Uh, there's a lot of different information, uh, that's even trickled down to the high school level that we're, I think a, a coach should be, uh, well-versed at to be able to communicate to players with everything that's going on in, in training facilities with pro ball college and everything to help prepare our players, not only for our high school season, but beyond. But I think that's something that, um, I've really tried to make sure that we, enjoy that process and even when your team's having success if you feel like it's an empty type feeling that's whole grand scheme because that's not really fun so finding ways to develop players connect with players and get the most out of them i think is kind of what everybody's trying to achieve but we're just doing it on a high school level which has a lot of different people or a lot of different uh, areas that you have to cover uh, to be able to connect and to realize that maybe mine, my mindset might not always be a hundred percent for that particular kid. But if I can help find out where they are and then try to take them farther, I think that would be the, the, uh, the goal. How do you feel like you're connecting better with players now than maybe when you first started? One to be more aware of, where they are in their process of development. So are they, whether if they're playing for a club team um, during the summer or even the fall uh, to help them with where are they at on their arm if they're a a pitcher? Um, Are they getting outside training um, if they're doing any? We have during our, um, we make our athletic performance start in October and then we go all the way through until our season starts in March. And then we have our players in March during the course of the season. And then when they get to the summer, they're on their own. And then the same thing for a portion of the fall leading up until we start to October. So to communicate to them, to make sure that we encourage them to do the things outside of the time that we have them, but then also during the time that we have them, to make sure that they're aware that we don't want them overtraining, And that's something that uh, in an environment that we're in, we have a lot of kids that are very competitive and we, and they want to do well, but to make sure that we educate them. So they're not going to our class and lifting and then coming, going home and eating dinner and then going back and working out again. And the same thing of making sure that they, um, like understanding that if I have a kid for three weeks leading into the season, I might not necessarily be his so-called swing coach that I want to be able to bring some things to the table that that can help his swing. But I've learned over time that if I'm going to try to change him in three weeks, I'm probably, 
if he if he already has things that he's worked on and he's bought into and if I don't take that in consideration, then I'm going to be really working against a wall or he's not going to be fully in um, involved. So I, I think just like a lot of hitting coaches, you want to establish a relationship first. And unfortunately, at the high school level, you're doing it in a short period of time. Um, so um, over time, you get to establish that more. But especially for a kid that's the, a first year player, I tend to step back, evaluate him and then try to add things and maybe even add more approach wise or ask questions of how do you think you did there kind of open-ended to get the player to see where he is and then provide maybe the information that you, that helps give them direction. And I think that you're one of the best coaches out there that is able to balance your summer program your spring program, and then also allowing guys to go on and play with other organizations. You know, what factors into those decisions that you make for the players in your program? Who stays with you? Who maybe goes somewhere else? How are you, how are you coming to those decisions with player personnel? Uh, well, in our area in particular, and I know I just returned from the National High School uh, Baseball Coaches uh, um, um, can't, or, uh, cl- Coaches Clinic, and in different parts of the country, it's different. Uh, there's more travel ball in certain areas, maybe in, in certain regions. Um, I know that there was one player or one coach that they went full bore and they traveled heavily and their programs had a lot of success and guys haven't played outside of their program. Um, from our standpoint, that was going to be a little more challenging. We have offered a, uh, a summer program for our guys the last uh, 10, 11 years. And we had, we have two nice facilities that were able to, uh, host diamond sports, uh, productions tournaments that your brother runs as well as, uh, some pastime and, uh, prep baseball report and some other, uh, tournaments that we're able to host at our site. So our players for play for a cheaper, uh, fee, but we also realize, um, that it's going to be get all our players on the same page to be able to travel. And it's also a a tougher burden for our coaches too, to travel more on a national level. So um, we've allowed our players to choose. We've tried to give them an additional choice uh, because of the decrease of uh, participation in uh, Legion ball in our particular region. And then most of our graduates end up playing Legion ball, which works out great uh, for them. So uh, we're kind of meandering through that. I've also got involved with um, a local club team, travel team, uh, Gators Baseball Academy this past year. And my kids will be playing that. And one, my oldest son last year played in our high school summer. So I think it's just about finding what situation works. And then for me, it, it has always been try to remove my personal side of, well, if you're not with us, you're not getting better. It's not that mentality. It's when you're with us, we're going to try to get the the best you can. And we're going to try to find the situation that is best for the group. But if if you're going to play, if you want to play in it, say Atlanta or on larger events, we don't have the, the grouping of players that financially, or just, um, we, we wouldn't have as many guys that are going to commit to a major division one that's going 
to really fit in in that source. So it's constantly finding those things out. And then um, I think right now we're in a good setting because we do have our summer. Uh, we do have a summer team that will play more uh, in the St. Louis area as well as uh, Indianapolis or and Bloomington uh, normal. And then we'll also have um, guys that are playing on just various club teams. They don't have to play with uh, GBA. They can play on whatever team. And, and your numbers prove that out. Um, not not just the wins that you've had at, at Edwardsville, but also with the amount of guys that you've sent on to the next level to play. And you've had over 100 guys go on and play. You probably deal with this a little bit with maybe guys that go to a, a college situation. Um, it does or it doesn't work out. You know, any recommendations for for parents or players that are listening in right now that maybe have uh, the opportunity to go to the next level and play at the next level? You know, with with your experience with guys in situations that have worked out or haven't worked out, what can you can you tell a parent or a player that's listening in that does get that opportunity of things maybe that they should focus on that are going to allow them to, to be successful and stay at the places that they're at and then maybe some pitfalls that you've seen from your guys that maybe it didn't work out of this situation that they're at and had to leave? Yeah, um, I would say it needs to be player-driven. Um, our our player, the, the environment that we try to create, and like I mentioned earlier about that we give our guys downtime away from us where they we encourage them to lift on their own. And we I've tried it sometimes of extending it into a, a nine, 10 month lift. And I've, I've found that the players are probably tired of our environment, <laughs> our, our environment, and we need some space away from them yes. too. But also they learn to grow and develop on their own and take ownership. And I think ideally I've transitioned and hopefully I'm getting better with that each time of not just feed them information or make sure they're lifting and do that. I tell our guys that we have a spectrum, say even on our weight room or practice, et cetera. And we have the person that's never there. Okay. And then we have the person that is there all the time doing what they need to be doing every single rep to the best of their abilities. And then they can walk out of the, the weight room or the practice or the competition. And they have that free feeling that they put everything in. And most of our guys are somewhere in between that. And I think the, 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 one of the bigger challenges now is players committing earlier. So then they're making decisions really before they've maybe had a lot of adversity at, say, a varsity level for high school. And not all players are committing earlier, but that's something that's kind of sped up in the last 10 years that's a little greater challenge. And then just with the amount of travel, the amount of money invested, and then the, the cost of college, I think, has accelerated a situation where a lot of parents or players can kind of hyperventilate and lose perspective. So my goal is always I tell our players I'll be as active as you want with the recruiting process that I would tell the player. I want them to also, if they play on a separate club team or if they play with, uh, say, the club that I'm involved with, get other opinions from the other coaches that are involved with our club so you have a good perspective of, what your maybe high ceiling is and then what's your your area that you would be uh, most acceptable to play if or interested in still playing. And then hopefully over time, we would pair that. In our setting, we, we have a lot of guys that like to compete. And we've had some years where we've had anywhere from 
eight to 12 players go on to the next level. In some years, we have less than that. But most of the time, we have players going on to the next level somewhere in that range. So what happens is we have some players that may have not been seen as much during our high school season because they really didn't have that opportunity. So as they get that opportunity, um, we get a better perspective of how they handle varsity. But I think it also gives those players a chance when they go in that setting, they're used to competing. And for me, starting out as a grad assistant and, and being a person that wanted to play college, I kind of wanted to do the extra things that take more time or that focus make it similar to what a college program would be in a high school setting. So I think whenever our players have moved on to the college level, they have a good understanding of what it is. And they are going to learn a lot of different things from whatever setting they're in in college. And if they're playing it for somebody in summer ball, et cetera. Uh, but hopefully we've given them that foundation and they're not shocked or surprised. And um, we, I, I love getting feedback from our players of, I mean, we had three players come in over Thanksgiving and one of them's in the weight room and he's like, coach, I love what you're doing in the weight room. That, that's the same stuff that we just did last week. So it makes us feel good about that. We're doing stuff that the, the college guys are doing. And for the player, even though the player did a lot of that with us anyway, then he recognized it a year more mature. He recognized that, oh, yeah, that, that stuff that you were doing, now I also know how it's benefiting me at that, um, that next level. And, and that's got to be gratifying for you that, that you are Sorry. doing the right things. Uh, you know, it, to, just to see your guys come back and, and know that they, one, picked up stuff from you, but then obviously they're, they're at the right situation because they're, they're doing some of the things that, that you were doing there as well. Um, you know, you have kids, I have kids. Any recommendations for youth, the youth side of things? You see it all the time. Do you have any recommendations for a youth parent out there that's listening in or any youth players that are, that are listening in? You're going through it with your kids right now. You know, any recommendations for parents out there? Well, I would, I would recommend they need to enjoy what they're doing and not be judged on, on how, I mean, sure. As a parent, you get excited whenever they do well. And when you're, when they don't do as well, you're disappointed from, from me. I know that I'm disappointed just because he, he didn't have that success for him, but not that I value him different. Or I also realize that those failures early on can help motivate them in the long run. And if they can understand that full circle, and I guess the advantage that I have is being in education and being coach for so long and also understanding that process can be beneficial. So um, I'm going to jump ahead of you. I think you talk about your fail forward moment. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about that because we're rebroadcasting after yep, the first round, time. round two. <laughs> for, yeah, for anybody so listening just... in, this is the <laughs> this is the struggles that you have a little bit with podcasting. Is our our first round did not take. Uh, there was a lot of feedback, and I, I do want to give Jim Richardson in the office <laughs> a shout out because. 
he's a lot better with the audio stuff than I am, but he did try to fix it and um, he did fix it a little bit uh, to his, but it just, you know, again, we needed to come back. So I do appreciate you coming back on and doing this. So sure I, I do, thing. Th- <laughs> I, I do I thank I you. I didn't need to point out any flaws. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening, driving back from uh, Columbus, Ohio. I was listening to uh, your podcast with DJ, uh, the first one of uh, for you. And I remembered the fail forward moment and I started yeah. thinking heavily about, I can't remember what I even said in the first time, but I know my uh, son's team, my, my oldest son who's now a junior in high school was a uh, probably an eight years old and we were out practicing on a field and the, I didn't coach the team all the time. I helped out on occasion and the coach was like, Hey, can you work with the hitters? So I'm trying to think like it's, one of the first times I started helping out the teams probably over the last couple of years. And I tried to be the person just stood to the side, let them play. And so sure enough, we're taking batting practice off machine and my son's in the first group. So I was trying to, I was like, I'm not going to say a ton to him or whatever. So he gets up there. Well, we're in Illinois and uh, sure enough, as a stereotype, there's a cornfield right next to <laughs> the field. My son's right-handed Machine comes out of the ball, he swings late, fouls off over the first base dugout into the cornfield, which the corn was, it was late June, maybe July. So it's head level high, six yep. foot high. So then I, I, I'm i like, I'm not going to say anything. He's, and then here comes another one, fouls it into the cornfield. Another kid has to go get it. And uh, I could feel my temperature rising more because he wasn't adjusting. And then um, I started getting on him more. And but long story short is later I realized how I dealt with him in that setting, even despite the balls being lost into the cornfield, was it was going to create a blockade. He didn't make an adjustment because of the way the, of my tone. And then he was embarrassed in front of other people. So I think um, dealing with your kids is uh, after that, I stepped back. And then I even reevaluated after that year, I asked him how his season went. And then like, as a parent, what did you enjoy whenever I helped you out? Did I, um, and he said, Oh yes, yes. And I said, well, was there any moments? And sure enough, he hesitated to say, and then I said, well, what, what about the time at the, the field practice? And he was like, yeah, that I said, well, I'll do better with that. So from that standpoint, I think as a parent, it's, not get in the car and start shouting at them or tell them they're the greatest thing. It's, it's more of let them have their time, enjoy it. So they get the the pure joy of competing with the struggles as well as the, uh, the success. But then later I would use that time of laying next to them in bed and kind of winding down, but just talking about other things in life and then, or just saying, how did you think you did today? And asking more open-ended questions and really, for me at eight, nine, I was just trying to establish a relationship with my own son as a child, but then also try to establish, like, if we want to talk about some baseball things, I don't want you to always feel like you're baseball dad and you're going to be perfect because you're not, but I'll, I want you to be ingrained in a process of one, love the sport two, understand that failure can be good and then not like failure but try to make the adjustments needed and go back out there 
and let it compete. So that would be my advice in a long, long way. There's no blueprint of parenting. Um, You know, marriage is difficult. Parenting is hard. And especially as a coach, when you have kids and, and I grew up in a household with a, with a dad that coached, uh, not the easiest thing in the world to be in a household uh, with a parent that coaches. Very gratifying, and and I would not have traded my experience for the world with having a dad that w- that was a coach. Uh, but there is no blueprint for that, and um, you know you do kind of work your way through it. And you know I know there's a ton of parents out there listening in, and you know there's no one right or wrong way with that. You just got to try to find your your own path with your own kids and and hopefully it works out and I think you eventually figure out that you're not going to screw them up either. You know, no matter what you do as a parent, as long as long, as long as you love them and, and right. you know and treat them right, you're you're not going to screw them up. Um yeah, I have a ton of stories with my dad, but I think the best thing my dad did for me growing up is he did not force baseball on me. Uh, I think right. if he would have tried to force baseball on me growing up, uh, I wouldn't have wanted to play. And he handled it as about as good as you could as a, as a parent that also coached and allowing me and my brother to kind of find our own way because I was into a lot of different things growing up. So, And I, I do thank my dad for that, that he didn't try to push anything on top of me and Tim, that it did allow me to find my own path. And I, I ended up liking baseball and loving baseball, I think, because of that, because it wasn't forced on me. And you're going to be at the ballpark. So, you know, as a kid growing up around the game, you're going to be at the ballpark a lot. So I think that's what you, what you know. But some people can make it miserable for kids, and that's what you don't want for them is, is for them to be miserable. You Anything that you want them doing, you want them to, to truly enjoy it and love it. And DJ did, did touch on that a little bit, that it does have to come intrinsically. It has to come from inside. And you can't force anybody to do anything if they don't ultimately want to do it. So you got to allow them to find their own path and whatever they're going to decide to do as well. I have a lot of respect for high school coaches. I, honestly, I don't think it's something that I could have done. You know, I have so much respect for high school coaches. What are some of the key things that you do that you feel like help you sustain year in and year out? You can't go out and recruit kids. What do you do that you feel like helps you? You know, we talk a lot about culture of developing that culture, continuing that culture, and allowing your, your program to be successful every year? Um, I think for me personally and our coaching staff, it's just let's just constantly refine what we do or at least evaluate what we do and why we do it and then make subtle adjustments, but then stay true to our core. So um, we may add some different things, but also understanding when you're adding different things, you are either going to spend more time and still do the other things or you're subtracting other things. So I think um, one, having that same true sense as a player of loving the ability to try to get better and then loving the ability to go out and compete. So yeah, we were in the state championship this past year, and the thrill of the postseason and everything that leads up to it is is awesome. And in, in our state, it's a single elimination tournament. So we, we told our kids at our youth camp when we returned, I said, how many kids have been in a, a youth tournament? And they all raised their hands. And out of the, the 100, I said, how many kids have played in a tournament or how many team or how many teams are playing your tournaments? And they're like eight, 16, uh, 10. And they're all popcorn and numbers that are in below 20. 
So I said, well, we just competed in a competition or we just played in a tournament that I had 150 plus teams <laughs> and we couldn't lose a game. So there was no pool play and you're throwing off. So I think it brought the kids because they were like, oh, yeah, well, we won the state tournament. Well, there was probably 15 youth state tournaments that weekend. It was just the name of it. And for ours, it was the the uh, winner take all and move on to the next round. But I think just enjoying being in that. Um, and then for us, we, I mean, we have talented players that like to work hard. Hopefully we make that process enjoyable. And I've really tried to always do a good or try to do my best of explaining the why. So then they have greater buy-in. And probably when I started out, I would explain why on some drills, but maybe I wasn't as clear of why in the holistic standpoint of why is it important to, to carry yourself in this manner? Or why is it important that you enjoy the struggles, et cetera? Is that part and of your then, core values? I mean, you talk about core values. Yeah. It, what, is, is that one of your core values? I mean, enjoying the struggle. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about the core values that you have? I think every good organization, good program has core values. What, what are, for Edwardsville High School, what are your guys' core values? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I've meandered with those over the years, and there's been times where I've tried to really define them and – then other times I think it, it, I've just morphed into what we need at the time. But I know whenever I was coaching at Triad High School, it was my first high school job. And I was 22, uh, hired as straight as a head coach after being a grad assistant for only a semester. And I had student taught at Triad High School and uh, was fortunate enough to get the job in a school that was growing and uh, had a great group of kids. Uh, the second year, we had a lot of younger players and a lot of guys that um, were kind of green as far as uh, the, the um, experience. And we, we needed to learn a lot of different things. Well, we, we came off of or we were riding back on a bus after getting beat one to nothing in about 57 minutes. The bus acted differently than I would have wanted. So I had to try to find a different way to approach it. And on that standpoint, I came up with some core values and talking to my assistant coach later, I talked to him about it. I said, number one, we're going to work towards improving as individuals. So, yes, it's a team game, but we need to learn. We want to improve as individuals. We want to Im improve as a team. But most importantly, we're going to act right. So that's going to be the first thing. And not to say that we weren't trying to work on discipline, but I realized pretty quick that one of my talks leading up to every season now is this is how we carry ourselves before the game during we're not going to be talking to the opponent now have our guys done it at times yes and we've had to discipline that more but that's our program expectation that we don't want to represent ourselves or we just want to go out and play the game we want to play the game hard so no matter what the score is whether up by five or, or they're down by five we want to play the game hard act right improve as individuals and improve as and play as improve as a team and those four core values, I think if you have those, and sure there's other 
ones, but those were the four that I focused in on the time. And that's kind of been the, at the, the center of what we continue to do. And then over time, I've learned that, okay, we've done that and we just won a sectional and our guys were happy, but they also kind of got into the realm so much. It was like, okay, we're ready for the next game. So over the last few years, I'm like, let's enjoy the moment <laughs> yep, and allow them to do that without um, embarrassing the other team or trying to put down uh, and enjoy that moment. And that's something that I mean, this past year we had some of our players had a uh, like a playground ball for a while and they would say bam and you know and i didn't know what it was and i thought they were almost like putting down the other team and i yelled over at the dugout like hey knock that off and then later one of the coaches came up to me like you know what they're doing they're they have this bam ball and it's from a, a tv show and it's just their way of having fun like you see in the college world series all the time of course so here i've been coaching for a while kind of be an old school mentality i'm like okay i'm gonna start Hey guys, that bam, like you can say that or whatever. So then they carry the ball. So then I try to loosen up and let them know that, Hey, we're going to really have fun within this. So even at towards the end, I took the playground ball and bounced it off the turf. And, and, and then we got bam t-shirts leading up to the state tournament. And we got uh, Dan Plesek from MLB network that was at our uh, dinner at state to to give a a bam handshake and uh kind of embrace it and make it our our little theme for the year and i think having fun like that and you can see how the players really connect with that and for me to realize that even at 47 i can have fun doing that and enjoy the the playground purity without being the guy that's that's chest bumping the players as they hit a home run and, and come around third. So we want to respect that game, but also have that balance of fun. I think the the term a good term for that is savor. You know, when you when yes. you look at some mindfulness stuff, they do they do that's the term they use is actually savor savor the moments. You know, really enjoy the moments because they they are fleeting and they do go fast. And again, you don't know if you're ever going to win another game sometimes. So like enjoy that part. And you don't want to take the joy out of it for your guys. You know, Jamie Carroll and I talked uh, a while back and he mentioned that like having joy and I, you know, you see it now at the big league level, you see it all the way down that the teams that are in and some of that they're winning, but they are savoring the moments. They're enjoying the moments. And I just don't think we can take that from our guys because once you do that, then it gets really hard. Baseball's hard anyway. You know, and once you right. start to take that from them, then it, that is hard for, for them. You know, you talked about evaluation. Do you have any evaluation tools at the end of the year? So, you know, good or bad, you know, everything's, some things are going to be good. Some things are going to be bad. What are you using for evaluation tools at the end of the season? Are just how, what was my sense of, what will the players think of our relationship after it? Did they feel like I treated them well? Did I, I, I'll push our guys. And sometimes whenever I ask my fellow coaches as an evaluation of me, of what can I do to get better? I mean, sometimes they'll give you the standard, Oh, I think you're doing fine or whatever. I'm like, no, seriously. And then one of our coaches is like, sometimes you're too honest with the players. <laughs> so I <laughs> So that that means probably I'm a little harsher critic than I need to be, and and uh, hopefully I don't get to the dream crush 
section, but also I, I want them to understand that I'm, I want to push them, but also um, praise them and uh, let them know that, man, you, there's a lot of things they achieve. So one, I do, kind of do you ask the, check in. do you ask the players that ever? Cause I know at the college level, I asked players, I would specifically, I got better at the end of right. just asking them directly, like, Hey, what do I, what do you need out of me to, to be better at? Um, and some would tell you and some wouldn't, you know, I think high school is a little bit different from a maturity standpoint. Um, right. you know, cause I don't think, you know, they may not be ready to have those conversations with you at that age. Do you ever ask the players directly? You know, I've, I've, haven't done it as much as what might be formalized in a exit um, interviews or exit uh, meetings with uh, with finishing a, a college season. Yep. Uh, for our season, I mean, we're we're sometimes if we're playing in the state tournament and playing deep. I mean, somebody might be on a flight the next morning. Exactly. And like last year, I mean, we're at a, a Taco Bell trying to come up with enough players. <laughs> to play in uh, one of your brother's tournaments <laughs> that next morning at 8 a.m. at SLU. So uh, our turnaround's pretty quick. But I do try to debrief with our our, our guys, and it, it might not be every player each season. Um, I try to also talk to them about, like, when they're in college, about, like, okay, what do you think we're doing this? Do you think we could do uh, better? Um, I mean, right now we're doing a lot of strength uh, stuff from a guy named Zach Rockford that's out at SIU Edwardsville, and uh, he's their athletic perf- one of their athletic performance coaches. And I we wanted to get better at what we were doing. And I always went to clinics and and talked to I talked to three major league uh, uh, guys at the time that were strength coaches. And uh, but we want to continue to assess it. But one of the things that that came about was one was from one of our players, Brock Weimer that played out at SIU. And I would always talk to him about what he was doing and he liked it. And I would talk to him about, okay, can we, I, we can't really force our players to go, but is there anything else that we can do within our, our program that can be more beneficial? Uh, so that feedback there, I think is ideal. And yeah, some players may not always provide the feedback, but, I think most of them are usually pretty honest with us. And I think that can continue refinement is, is just part of it. And um, I, it's probably more for coaches to put themselves out there in a whole blanketed statement. And I'm probably not fully there or just, I'm, we're doing so many other things that I think about that at times, like a, should we open up to a full format, but, I think most of them realize that they have a they have the freedom to tell me as even as we're doing that during the course of the season. I've now got to the point where I'll ask some of our veteran players like, hey, you guys, whether you want to take mass ground balls on on a full field or do you want to work on uh, some short work? Like, what do you want to do? Do you guys want to hit on the field or you want to hit on the cages or hit in the cages first and then hit on the field? I mean, those different types of things that I give more player choice in some circumstances. And I think that gives them more buy-in too. Yeah. How, how much pl- parent involvement do you have? 
You know, I think this is we're we're in an interesting climate for for all levels of sports now, as far as parent involvement with the program, um, and also evaluation and that part of it too. I mean, what what are you doing, and and how are you dealing with with parent situations as well? Um, well, to kind of backtrack with the recruiting part, I always tell the parents I'll be as active as they uh, want me to be. I'll be honest with them. We'll tell the same thing as we tell the the college coach, um, but I think. Most parents, despite all the information that's out there, it's it's a maze for them. And my job is to help clarify it and be honest within that whole process. And I had one parent one time think that I had five scholarships to give out because we had five scholarships the time before. I've had um, other parents think that, oh, there's no way my son can play at this place or just tell them. And I just try to make sure that they're aware Give them, give them that window, the higher ceiling part and the lower. And then to think about like, if, if you're not at the level that you anticipate, do you see your, don't eliminate the other ones if you want to play. But what I try to challenge, and I've seen it with my son's teams now with both my kids in high school, that there's a lot of energy if you're coaching your own team at a young age and there's a lot that's invested far as time whether they're practicing a couple days a week whether they're involved in a facility or paying the money for it they've traveled they've had a lot of bat bags and helmets over the years there's a lot involved and for some people it's hard to pull back well what i've tried to do is we when we started out we would get about ten thousand dollars a year that our boosters would make for us for a baseball specific booster club at Edwardsville. And within the last 20 years, now we're, we're up to about 60. And a lot of that is not because we needed helmets and bat bags and all that, but because the, at the younger level, they were doing that. And then when we came in, we continued to feed that energy. And now we have several sets of uniforms. We have helmets, we have bat bags, but, for me, the most important thing, we have the training equipment and our parents are able to then, we use the booster club for that, but we also set parameters. So if you're wanting to be our booster club president, that doesn't mean your son's batting third and playing shortstop. Exactly. We had, yeah, we had to, we had to, our superintendent, we talked to him about developing our field grader and, and we made some uh, renovations to our field. And uh, our baseball booster end was uh, to end up raising $125,000 in six months. <laughs> so that was a pretty good challenge. And we did several things. And when we went into it, give some examples. Give some examples. That's a huge nut. You know, yeah. give some examples of what you guys did to, to raise the money for that 125. Right. Well, annually, we do, we play at Bush Stadium, we do a fundraiser, we sell tickets, and everybody shares their load. So each player will get anywhere from 15 to 18 tickets, sell the tickets, we'll go down and play. And then um, we get the ticket for what's about half. And then we sell it for under face value, five to $10. So when we make that difference in between and the players get the experience of playing at Bush Stadium. So that, that usually gets us, we usually set a price that is gonna guarantee our program about 20,000. And then we have a uh, trivia night this year. I think we're doing horse races and uh, where they're going to have video of, uh, 
of races and they get to predict it and we got to stay away from the <laughs> deeming it as that's a, a great idea by area. the way that's a great idea yeah so it's going to be very similar it's like a dinner auction type thing but we do the the uh the horse racing instead and i would anticipate that we would we've made anywhere from 15 to to twenty two thousand dollars some years i think we even lower end we made 12 so uh we i mean we have 40 maybe 40 tables of eight people and um you end up we have a lot of community support uh, along the way for our bigger fundraiser we had to tackle it we had set aside some money and uh i'm not sure if you're aware uh ed hightower yep or dr ed hightower uh the uh, final four basketball oh, yeah. for, for many years he was our superintendent so he was a go-getter for it so he set out that number of 125 i didn't i didn't throw that on our boosters but as we started out at 85 and then we went to 100 and then went to 125 our boosters didn't blink and we had some larger donations we had a first pitch dinner uh which we invited rick horton to come over uh that former cardinal and dodger and other teams and he came over and uh as the cardinal announcer too he shared uh with us and we had some food for for people some uh, little treats as well as a few auction items and then we had some oral auction items and i think that brought us in about 15 or so and we had also a person come to that event and just be like i want to i want to make up the difference of it Tremendous. so for that we were able to then get over the hump and we ended up i think actually making 185,000 by the time we 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 sold off some sponsorships of a courtyard we sold some bricks and we put some blocks in the back of our backstop as the the stadium was being built so from that end we tied in our history of our program and we got people involved. Uh, some people had corporate sponsorships that if they work for a corporation, they would match the donation. So that's a big difference when you're selling a bench for 5,000 and you get 10,000 out of it. So for sure. Those things. And it was, I mean, our, our, our booster club president that year, I was like, Oh my gosh. And, but it was the same thing. I told all our players going in, like your son's not got bad third or whatever. Our booster club president went through all that. And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, Coach, let me know if there's anything else I can ever do for your program. And I'm thinking, like, you have done so much. And so have all the parents. And they did it without, hey, my son needs to be playing time. I've, I've done this for your program. So that's kind of been something that's been very successful for our program, that we've had various people make uh, considerable donations to our program, but not we we've set it up with a setting that it's not going to be geared garnered towards playing time. Our relationship with our player is our player and we've found a way and not to say that it's not challenging at times, but we found a way to direct energy in those ways and then just be upfront with people. And then whenever situations are getting closer to that line to have that conversation. And also for me and the rest of the coaches, it gives you a freeing feeling that, you're not, there's nothing that's pushing you in a different direction other than your relationship with the player and the evaluation and what's best for the team at that time. And there's an art to the fundraising side of it. And if you're in any organization, you're going to have to do some sort of fundraising. And there really is an art to it. And it's about developing those relationships that you have with people. And 
you can't come out hot, but I do feel like if you have a vision and people know what they're donating money to, I think you've got a much better opportunity to, to get and reach your goals for fundraising because there is some art to it and it's part of developing those relationships and uh, it's amazing. I think people want to be involved with something that's bigger than mm-hmm. themselves and that's part of, you know, I've been to your stadium, I've been to your complex uh, many times and it always seems like there's some improvements going on over there and that's a huge credit to you. Um, you know, last question here before I let you go. And I, again, I appreciate you coming back on with me and, um, Absolutely. any, any evening or morning routines. Again, I respect the high school guys, uh, a tremendous amount because of what you have to do. It's not just coaching baseball. Uh, you have to get up in the mornings. You have to sustain that energy all day. And then you have to sustain it in the end, in the afternoon, the evenings, anything that you're doing that you really enjoy that you feel like can help a, a coach or anybody that's listening in right now. Well, it's funny. Cause in the last three or four weeks we talked, <laughs> I, I've, I've actually started instituting some of the things that I said would be goals of mine. There we go. Um, I, I mean, exercise is important and I teach physical education and I would not say I'm always the best modeler of that, especially on the dietary standpoint. More, uh, I've done CrossFit and different things before and found that teaching an early bird class starting at 630 and then going through all the things with my own kids and all the demands of coaching and then going to bed at 1130 or, or midnight, that routine of trying to get up and work out from five to six was not going to be good for me. Exactly. So I've now ventured into, uh, we lift weights three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I've lifted four days a week in the past. I found out that a lot of our guys are doing different things, whether they're doing training or they're going to lessons. And we would have most of our guys only be able to show up three days a week. I also know that from the coaching standpoint, a lot of our coaches ended up feeling like it was more of a grind and not being able to have more personal time. So really from that standpoint, when I talked to Zach Rockford about designing our program, I'm like, this is the reason why we're doing it in off season. And we're going to be, we're going to be a hundred percent when we're there, we're going to be done in a, a right around an hour. If not like today, we were probably done in 45 minutes. But for me personally, I know that gives me a chance to detach and I just moved recently and we live next to a bike trail. So I, uh, I got a, a watch that I can hopefully be engaged and I've been running a little more and then I'll need to find some other avenues. But I think exercise and then being able to detach and also realize that it's probably easier for me over time. And I think a lot of that's just maturity our teams have had a lot of success and that could help out with it too. But it's also known in that if I do that, why, if I'm telling the players, trust yourself, give us a hundred percent when you're there, they're going to be better off if they detach and not carry the over four with them or also the high of the four for four and the big win. They want, we want them coming back with energy. So I need to do that myself. And uh, Mike Waldo was an, a longtime assistant for me and he, he had, he had coached from 1980 until 2018. So with our baseball program, so my accumulation of wins is obviously not just me, but it, it, he is almost double that from an assistant standpoint. But one of the things that he did was very valuable for me was be able to 
teach me how to check in and see where I'm at. Am I going to practice and just getting on people because I didn't get enough sleep exactly. or I had some, something disrupt my class. So teaching five classes a day, I got, I got, I have different breaks. I start to recognize personally when I'm feeling a little more overloaded. I, um, and then obviously exercise and then, um, I'm not as good on the sleep end. I'll need to continue to work on that. That's ongoing with me as well. I just, yeah. it's, it's hard to get into that routine. Um, and, and I think everybody knows that sleep is important, but at the end of the day, how do you get into those routines that, that do help you to get a good night's right. sleep? Even if it is four or five hours, it's, it, it can be difficult at times, but you can also feel it when you, when you are getting enough rest, like you're going to feel it in your energy level. Um, you know, and, and I, and I know you use church as a, as a way to decompress as well. You know, and I, I think yeah. that, that counts as well. You know, it, I know you're using church as a way to, you know, you, you, yeah, you have more, that. Hey, you have more routine set up than you think, you know, and I don't, I don't think we, yeah, I don't think any of us give ourselves enough credit with what we do. So I, you, you've got plenty of good routine set in to, to allow yourself to, to, to be productive. Yeah. And I think it's just, kind of, it's, I'm always searching for that balance and that's the physical, the mental and the spiritual. And I think the spiritual uh, being connected to the church and, and with uh, fellowship of Christian athletes has helped me mature as an individual, but also mature spiritually and not take things upon myself and the burden. And I would have never imagined myself in 2017, we were in the state finals and we had some time in the morning and I walked from the hotel to a, a local, uh, a mall that had a, uh, like a breakfast place. And just went by myself. And as I was walking back, I, I said a prayer and I, I didn't say a prayer for us to win. I said a prayer for the players that were involved, that this game could help influence others in the future. That's awesome. And I, I, I think at that time I started realizing that, man, I'm just not praying for the victory and for the personal gains and everything. And uh, I think more recently, when we've gotten postseason, I've talked to Joel Hawkins, a Highland High School coach, which is was Jake Oderizzi's Jake high school coach. Yep, he's the one that kind of got me involved with FCA, asking me to a, a camp. But I think um, he he checks in, and he he he'll even ask me how are you and everything like that. Well, I've started recognizing that I feel more peaceful, and I think I'm a better coach. And probably more fun to be around, <laughs> knowing that I have. I, I've known you. Hey, I've known you for a long time. You're all. You've always been fun to be around. So. Uh, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, Coach Funkhauser. I can. I can't thank you enough for for doing the reshoot on this. And um, again, that's the type of person that you are. And I'm looking forward to seeing you here in Nashville. Absolutely. Yep. And then, um, you know, then have a, have a great season. That'll but I'll. I'll I'll talk to you probably a million times before all that. So, um, but thanks again for coming on. Well, great. Well, thanks for what you're doing with ABCA because it's such a it, it's continued to grow and the influence on me I know has been uh, huge and uh, I, I look forward to continue to to uh, have you continue to grow the organization and and for us to reap all the benefits selfishly. Yeah. So thanks for what you do. Yeah, I pre I'm a I'm a very very small part of of what everyone is doing and that's the great thing 
about being here is you feel like you you are making an impact, but in a very small way. And the office here is filled with really talented, hardworking, energetic people that make it really fun to to show up at work every day. And then you get a chance to to connect with baseball coaches and baseball people all over the world. Uh, and, and it is, uh, you know, I feel grateful for the opportunity. It's tremendous. Great. Well, you deserve it. And, you, and you've always had a profound influence on the players. And now you're, you're there working alongside with the coaches and their growth too. So that's, that's something awesome. Yep. Thank you, my friend. Yep. And your brother uh, prevented me from going to play for your dad at Evansville because <laughs> He was a year older than me, and I looked in the program whenever I got a call from Evansville, and I said, well, the coach's son's the second baseman. Hey, I and watched I said, Tim growing up. You, you, Tim would have been on the bench. If, if you showed up at Evansville, Tim would have been on the bench for sure. So <laughs> no. it, you should have made that decision. I played in the CICL, and I tell him all the time that that was the best decision I didn't because I'm, I'm honest enough about my own evaluation to realize he was a better player than me. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, have a great night. All right. You too. Thanks. Great stuff there by Tim Funkhauser, uh, head baseball coach at Edwardsville High School out of Illinois. Uh, just won the state championship last year, the 4A state championship. Uh, he's got 700 wins now. Uh, and again, the, the quickest to get to 700 wins in the state of Illinois. Uh, he's always been a very forward-thinking uh, individual, a very forward-thinking coach, and hopefully you got that from the interview. Um, every time I get a chance to talk to Tim, it's it's tremendous. He's a high-energy guy, and uh, you can tell why Edwardsville High School has had so much success underneath him um, because he's a forward-thinking person. Uh, he, he's always looking to improve. Uh, he's a guy who's always picked up the phone to, to call. Um, I think he appreciates the ABCA and, and what it's done for him. Uh, but as all of us that are our baseball guys have an understanding is that you can reach out to anybody and, and they're going to be forthcoming with information. And that's the best thing about our sport. And the best thing about our coaches in our sport is that they're willing to help people. And once again, this is the ABCA American Baseball Coaches Association podcast. And I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee, signing off again here from the offices in Greensboro, North Carolina. And remember to leave it better for those behind you. And thanks.